<clears throat> I remember Jacob. It was my first year as a pastor, and it was my first confirmation class that I was teaching as a pastor. And I remember as I was preparing to begin the class after our opening prayer, I called upon Jacob, who was sitting in the front, to read the scripture lesson for the day. And when I did that, he looked up at me with this look of horror on his face. And then he raised his hand, Pastor, could I be excused for just a minute? And I was really confused at this point, and I said, certainly, you may be excused. I thought he had to use the restroom. So he took off out the door, then I called upon the next student to read the lesson. And um, as they read the lesson, Jacob came running back in. And uh, so he, he looked at me, he goes, Pastor, Pastor, come here, please. And so I went over to the doorway, and he said, no, out here. So I told the class, just remain here, be still, be quiet, I'll be right back. Went out there, and he had gone down the hall, and there was a phone in the hallway, hall uh, on the wall, and uh, the, the phone receiver was off the hook. And he said, it's my mom, could, could you talk to my mom? I thought, well, this is very strange. But I picked up the receiver, and I said, hello, this is Pastor Steve. She said, hi, Pastor Steve, this is Jacob's mom. And I'm sorry, I didn't communicate this to you earlier, but Jacob stutters. He has a really difficult time speaking when he's called upon. And uh, so that's why he called me to let you know that he, he loves being in the class, but he, he, he can't read because um, his, his mouth won't work. And, and I thanked her for letting me know that. I thanked Jacob put my arm around his shoulder, we walked back to the classroom. And, and you know what I realized at that moment? Was that Jacob couldn't do it alone. Jacob needed a team. Jacob needed the church, the body. Jacob would not be able to do it alone. As a matter of fact, you can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. We all need a team. We all need the church. Whether it comes to reading Scripture, to studying Scripture, to sharing Scripture, to prayer, to feeding the poor, whatever it is, we need each other. We cannot do it alone. And so this call that we hear read to us this morning, that you are the salt, is not an individual call. Jesus isn't saying to you, you are the salt. You are the light. What he is saying is that you corporately are the salt and the light. You, the church, you, the body of Christ, you are the salt. You are the light. And the only way that it works is to look at it corporately. When Israel brought their sacrifices to the altar in the temple, this would be during the festival seasons. There are five primary festivals that would 
be gathering in Jerusalem. Um, always three biggies. And so people would, from all over Judea would come and they would offer their sacrifices. And in, I, <clears throat> I just happened to be reading through Leviticus this week. You're supposed to laugh at that point. <laughs> and, uh, and I came upon this reading in Leviticus chapter 2. And chapters 1 and 2 are instructions about how the Israelites are to present their offerings in the temple to the Lord. And I, 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 I was struck by, by what it said here in verse 13 of Leviticus 2. It says, If you present a grain offering to the Lord, I'm sorry, that's 14, season all of your grain offerings. So there's, there's animal sacrifice offerings, and then there's grain offerings. Both of them would be offered to the Lord. They'd be taken up to the altar in the temple, and then they'd be burned. The animal would be burned. The grain would be burned. And so season all of your grain offerings with salt. With salt. To remind you of God's eternal covenant. Season all of your grain offerings with salt to remind you of God's eternal covenant. Never forget to add salt to your grain offerings. Never forget the eternal covenant that God has made with you. That was the purpose of salt. When you think about the salt, it's an important element to salt your offerings, to remember of how much God loves us, how much God is committed to you, how much God loves you. We are salty as the body of Christ. As the church, we are salty when we turn outward. When we turn into the world, we are salt. Now, this is a difficult calling to turn outward into the world. It doesn't come naturally. Our natural inclination is to, to be concerned about ourselves, maybe our own families. That's our natural inclination. <clears throat> but what Jesus is telling his disciples, telling the early church, telling the church now, is to love the world, to serve the world, to care for the world on behalf of God. When I first came to New Covenant, one of the things that I discerned was that we, that, I mean, the, the mission primarily before I came had been to, to get to be big enough to have a church facility. And so, you know, I was blessed to come in and this was all built, this first phase. And, uh, but then it was kind of like there was this lostness because so much energy and focus had been put to that mission of getting to the church, getting that church built. And so one of the things, one of the first things that I did was to, to have some house groups, some home groups, and to have some discussion about what is the purpose of the church now. Now that we're here, what is our purpose? What is our mission? And so we distilled uh, a mission statement that had in it 
a, a focus of serving the world. And so, uh, after all these home groups, after board meetings, after all these different sessions, we were able to distill this new mission statement into a little booklet. And as we distributed the booklet and shared the results with the congregation, um, I was pelted with all kinds of pushback. And I have to tell you, it was my first time because I'd always been on a church staff before. And uh, when churches do controversial things, make changes, that's a controversial thing, in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> when, when churches do controversial things, um, the, the person who gets the focus of the, the brunt of the conversation is, is the senior pastor. I'd never been a senior pastor until I came here. <laughs> and, and so all of a sudden it was like, whoa, <laughs> there is some significant pushback. Thankfully, I had people like Larry Person, who was the board chair at that time, um, who helped me to survive. Uh, we'd meet for bagels and coffee every Tuesday morning at Einstein's. And, and uh, so, so when, when you think about this outward push, it's not natural. I mean, the thing that we heard most often from people who didn't like the new mission statement was, well, we should be taking care of our own first. We should be taking care of ourselves. Now, that's an interesting comment. Taking care of ourselves before we take care of others. But if we're called to be the salt, we're called to turn outward. Because when salt loses its saltiness, spiritually what Jesus is saying, that's when it turns inward. You want to know when the salt loses loses its saltiness, it's when, when the disciples turn inward, when we turn inward, when we're just concerned about ourselves, when we're foremost concerned about ourselves. We are a salt that is seasoned to tell the world about the never-failing love of God in Jesus Christ. Like those early grain sacrifices in the temple, the salt was a reminder to tell the world about God's love for the world. We are salt, a seasoning. And I'm going to tell you a way that we are called to the, the, this week, this, this morning. I'm going to tell you a way that, that we are called to be the church in a way that's going to irritate some of you. And I want you to know that I'm older and wiser now, so if you want to push back, you can. We are called to love Washington, D.C. We are called to love Democrats and Republicans and government workers. We are called to love them. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, but there's one I really hate. Can you say hate in the church? Yes, you can say hate. So, what does Jesus say about that? Well, this is what I think he is saying. Is that love is something different than what you might think it is. 
Now, th this actually, this, this is going to be a two-for-one message here. I'm, you're going to be able to translate this, those of you who are married couples, you're going to be able to translate this into marriage um, as well. So when, when Jesus is saying, telling us to love one another, when he's telling us to love the world, when he's telling us to love Washington, D.C., what he is saying is not that you have to agree with everything, but you have to love them. And so if you have a, a romanticized version of love, then you're probably kind of confused at this point. Like, how can I love something that I hate? Well, there are some mornings, I will admit, that my wife Patty wakes up and she looks over at me and she probably thinks to herself, how could I have ever married this man? I mean, when he was young, he had a head of hair. You know, he was skinny. You know, how could I have ended up with this guy? And she has every right to that thought, to those feelings, if she thinks them. But there is another aspect of love that is called commitment. And the commitment part says, even though I might not like what I see this morning, I love it. I'm committed to it. I will pray for it. You see the difference? So you can really dislike something or someone and still love them. You can dislike what they're doing and still pray for them. And as the church, that is what we need to be doing. We need to be loving this world, praying for this world. In John <clears throat> chapter 3, you may see this at the football game today. <laughs> chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. You won't see 17 probably, but I'll, I'll read that because that's an integral part of this. For God so loved the world... So much that he gave his only... How much did God love the world? God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. His only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then there's clarification because sometimes we can kind of use this verse to tell people, see, you better become like me, a believer, or you're going to... Well, there's a, another story I'll tell you another time, but you get the point. But this is what Jesus then says in verse 17. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. So if we use chapter 3, verse 16, let's not use it with judgment. Let's use it with love, with the intent that Jesus gave it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to suffer, to die, to be raised again from the dead, to take our sins upon him. That's how much God loved the world. So if you think you can't love Washington, D.C., you've got some work ahead of you. Because God loves the world, every part of it. And if we don't love, then we're not salt. We lose our saltiness. 
and then we get thrown out on the ground and trampled underfoot. To lose our saltiness, to lose our effectiveness is a dangerous thing. It's not something we want as the body of Christ. I think we're in agreement upon that. There are times when we have probably done that intentionally and we can repent and God forgives. Sometimes we lose our saltiness not through a judgmental action of our own, but sometimes we lose our saltiness just through attrition. Maybe some apathy builds in. Um, I mean, Jesus has told us how we're to be the salt in the, in the world, how to love the world, um, hasn't he? He's told us to go out and to heal the sick. But today we have doctors and nurses and hospitals and clinics. Well, Jesus has also told us to, to visit the imprisoned. Well, we could do that, but now we have chaplains that we pay to serve in prisons, and they have really immediate access. They don't have to wait for two weeks to get access. Well, Jesus also said to go feed the hungry. Well, we, we, uh, we send food to organizations, parachurch organizations, who feed the hungry around the world and even locally. So, in a sense, we can begin to lose connection with the call into the world. That's why I mean it's a difficult call to follow. It's not our natural inclination to think outward before inward, and it's certainly not a natural inclination to be cognizant of the changes that are happening. I mean, the institutionalization of the ministries of the church, I mean, I, I don't want to downplay that. That's an important thing. That's a really helpful thing. But it's not helpful for us if we lose our connection to the call. If we lose our connection to the call, then we are losing our saltiness in another way. And then if we lose our saltiness, what's left? To take care of one another? Again, I'm not giving the impression that that's bad. Those institutions are good, and the work that they're doing is impressive. But I don't want us to stop being the church. I don't want us to stop calling upon the Holy Spirit to lead us, to direct us, to guide us into the world as the salt. We are the salt of the earth. What can we do? Well, we can begin by listening to God in prayer. We can begin by responding to God's call, testing it with Scripture. We can begin to tell people of the power of God's love, of the faithfulness of God's covenants, God's promises. We can be the good news. 
If we stop doing that, then we lose our saltiness. So listen to the Spirit. Test it with Scripture. Pray for people. Now, when I talk about prayer, I think this may be one of the most simple and elemental, but yet important and powerful tools that Jesus has given us. So if, if you don't know how to serve, one of the ways that we all can serve is by prayer. And when we talk about prayer, um, I'm not speaking um, of like someone, like the pastor, leading a corporate prayer. As important as that is, um, I'm not speaking about that. I'm talking about praying, you praying for people that you know, that you come into contact with. And when they share a concern with you, a health concern or any other kind of concern, to be able to just stop and to pray with them, to pray with them. You know, when you do pray with someone, it's probably important to t not to tell them to get off their medication. Don't ever do that. Um, if you pray with someone, um, you know, it's probably helpful to uh, ask permission first. Can I pray for you? I've never had anybody turn me down. Even unbelievers invite me to pray for them. And so, so prayer is one of those first elemental important steps that we can take to be the salt, to be the body of Christ, to be the church. And we can pray for healing. We can pray for food. We can pray for good news. We can pray for hope. One of the craziest things that my wife Patty and I have ever done, and we've done some crazy things, one of the craziest things we did was a few years ago, we were at a conference in Chicago. I've told some of you this story before. But <clears throat> we came out of the hotel. The first night I came out looking for a Walgreens to go get some bottled water because I, I have this aversion to paying $5 for a bottle of water at the hotel. Um, and uh, so I was looking for the, the Walgreens, and it was across the street, but it was dark, and this homeless man said... Uh, Oh, the Walgreens, they're closed. They're renovating. And he told me another store, 7-Eleven uh, down the street, I could go get some water. So th the first time I encountered this man, every time I came out of the hotel, he was there. So the first night I encountered him, that was before the water, um, he asked for money. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm from Scottsdale. I have plastic. And <laughs> so I had a dollar in my wallet, so I handed him a dollar and his response to me was, a dollar? <laughs> what am I going to get with a dollar? <laughs> I said, well, don't they sell dollar burgers at McDonald's? Um, but anyhow, every time I came out, he was asking for money. And, but he was also helpful. And, and so we got to know him pretty well. Zeke was his name. And uh, I, I presume he's short for Ezekiel. And um, the last night that we were there, that we'd been there for three or four nights and so the conference had ended that evening. So the last night, Patty and I were going out for dinner. We were walking to the restaurant, and, um, and Zeke was outside again. And uh, he asked what we were doing and told him we were going for dinner. He said, well, bring me something. He said, bring me your leftovers. I thought, okay, well, we'll do that. And so um, we went to this nice little Chicago pizzeria, Paisano's, and um, 
ordered a little heart shape. It was for Valentine's Day area, or around the Valentine's Day. And they were, you know, selling their marketing was the, the heart-shaped pizza. So we got the heart-shaped pizza, which is smaller than the whole circle, by the way. Um, so um, we ate the whole pizza, but we had leftover salad. So we were walking back, and he goes, where are my leftovers? I go, Zeke, all we, all we have is some salad. He goes, salad, I hate salad. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, Zeke kept talking with us and I, you know, asking what we could do for him. And I, I said, Zeke, can we pray for you? And he said, yeah, that'd be good. Why don't you pray for me? And, and so we started to pray for Zeke. And uh, it was, uh, it, this was crazy. I mean, be let, make sure God is leading you to pray for a crazy homeless man, okay? Uh, because he starts, you know, screaming, and then he's crying. I mean, we're praying over a several-minute time here because he's going through all these different experiences and emotions. But the power of the Holy Spirit had called us. I mean, that was the sense that Patty and I had was we're supposed to pray for him. So we're praying for him, and he's screaming, and then after a while he's crying, and then he's, uh, then he's quiet, and then he's grateful, and um, it's like the Holy Spirit had just come upon this man and transformed him, at least for a few minutes. And so when you think about praying for people, remember what Peter and John encountered when they were going up to the temple to pray in Acts chapter 3? Remember the, the crippled beggar? He was there begging with money, asking for money from all the people going into the temple to pray. And Peter looks at him and he said to him, on behalf of him and John, Peter said, neither gold nor silver do I have, but receive what I can offer you. And he starts to pray for the man. He tells the man to get up and to walk in the name of Jesus. Now, I haven't gotten anybody to walk yet. But I can certainly be praying for them. For the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. To bring healing. To bring peace. To bring hope. And so can you. You don't need to go to seminary to learn how to pray. Anybody can pray. Any believer has the ability to pray. And not in the sense, well, I'll add you to my prayer list. Although those might be helpful. I have a journal of prayers list in it. But to be able to pray at that moment of need for someone whom, whom you feel drawn to pray for, it's a powerful thing. And it's a way that the church can remain salty. Now, there are other ways. There are other ways. But it involves moving out of the sanctuary into the world with God's love. You see, the death knell of the church, the death knell of religion is... My faith is personal. My belief is private. That's the death knell. If we stop talking about our faith because 
It's personal. If we refuse to bring up our beliefs, our faith, because they're private, then the church doesn't have a chance because we've already lost our saltiness then. There is no more poignancy in the salt. You see, I've talked to many Christians who have told me that their faith is personal, that it's private. It's my faith, I have faith in, in God, Pastor, but it's a private faith. I don't like to brag about it, talk about it. And, and it, let me just clarify something. Jesus doesn't want you to brag about it either, um, but he wants you to use it. He wants you to share it. And so when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, you the church again, not individually, you the body of Christ are the light of the world, when he says that, he is saying that because he represents the crucified and risen Jesus. That's what John tells us in chapter 8. I am, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me. Jesus is the light. He's out there. It's dark in here. Jesus is the light. Are we going to follow Jesus? If we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to leave here at some point. The Pharisees thought that the light was the law. But Jesus said, no, I am the light. I am the light. This is how John put it. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never overcome it. See, that's why we need to love Washington, D.C., because the darkness will never overcome it as long as we are light in the world. It's not hopeless. There's hope, but the hope is not going to be in our ideologies or political thoughts or ideas. The hope is going to be in Jesus and our ability to teach people to love the world like God loves the world. And when you are that way, then people begin to see the light of Christ within you. You see, Jesus, the light, he entered into the darkness, the darkness of the cross. He entered into the darkness, the darkness of death. Jesus, he is the one who became death for us. And in the pre-dawn darkness of Easter morning, the empty tomb gave way to the light. You are the light. Not individually, not privately. You, the church, you are the light. We are the light. We are the light for the darkness of this world. Patty and I were privileged to have dinner with a dear friend who was in town this uh, past week. Uh, we, we had dinner with her yesterday evening. And uh, whenever she comes to town every couple of years, she always makes sure that she calls us to try to connect with us because she's so grateful. And, and sure enough, again, yesterday, you see, she, she lived, when, when, when I first met her, she lived a really, <laughs> she lived in a lot of darkness. I mean, it was so dark. And 
her darkness was so dark that it almost took her life. And I remember when she came to the church, we began to see the light break into her life. So when, when we ate with her yesterday, she once again said, Pastor Steve, thank you for saving my life. And once again, I had to tell her, I'm sorry, I didn't save your life. God did. And then she said, well, thank you for being the light, you and the church. Thank you for being the light. You see, you didn't maybe even know this person, but her life has been utterly transformed and changed in a, such a positive way. She has risen to the stars in her life because of the light that you showed her. We, the church. Today, there may be someone who has come here in darkness and they need the light. They need you. We can go out into the world and we can find, in the brightest sun, we can find lots of darkness, lots of need to be the light. So, <clears throat> Jesus is calling us, not individually, but corporately, with love. Let's go be the church with God's love, with the gift of prayer. Let's go be the church. With our service to those in need, let's go be the church. Faith, hope, and love. Let's bring that to the world. You've been doing it. Let's do it again. Let's be the church. Amen.